Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. All right, welcome to another Facebook Live. We have with us Pastor Jay Harris, a good friend of mine. Welcome, Jay. What's up? What's up? (laughs) And today we're going to talk about something that's very important to both of us, um, engaging the next generation and the different struggles um, they face. So before we get into it, I just want Jay to give us a little bit about himself. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so my name is Jay Harris. Um, What can I say about myself? Uh, I'm married. I got eight kids and baby number nine on the way with my beautiful wife, Alana. Um, And uh, I pastor the Bill Church, which is downtown on Liberty Street. I'm also on the Clover Branch Street and Arrow. And love Jacksonville. That's pretty much what I do besides getting getting juice for my kids all day and changing pampers. That's my other thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I admire you and Elena so much because y'all have um, a lot of children. <laughs> if I break out crying while we're doing this interview, you don't know what it is. Don't even trip about it. It's just, tears just come whenever you want to come. I don't know how to stop it. Well, today we're going to talk about engaging um, the next generation and, and specifically young struggles. One of the things that I think is so vital that you do is with all that you have going on with pastoring, with having eight children, you also you also are very involved in mentorship. Yeah. Um, specifically at Lee High School. Tell us about uh, what you do at Lee. Yeah. So um, so I've been volunteering. So a young lady in my uh, church um, that's been there for a couple of years by the name of Amy Donofrio. She's a teacher at Lee High School. Um, she's a white female. Teaches predominantly young African American males and. Um, and so I basically, like one day she hit me up, like, yo, Jay, come, come, you know, help me out. Like, I'm trying to figure this thing out and I need some help. And so I kind of was like, bet, let's do it. I was completely blown away by what happened when I went in and the stories I got from the kids and what they were dealing with. And um, I think I've been there probably like three years, just consistently with one classroom. And it's been an absolutely amazing experience, but it's also been grievous. The reality check that's given to me, um, just to see the circumstances that exist with the teens and everything. So yeah, and that, and the thing that I um, I found out about Evette is the movement in the class yeah. uh, because I saw you post about it on Facebook, and y'all been able to do some phenomenal things yeah. with going to meet the president, yeah. going to the Capitol, and speaking on behalf of of, of just students that are struggling. Yeah, and it really opened my eyes because you think. You don't think this stuff is going on. Yeah. And so me recently trying to get involved with the, the boys at Evac, just hearing their stories almost brought tears to my eyes. Yeah. I'm like, these guys are going through stuff that adults aren't going through. Yeah. Um, tell us about some of the things that that they're struggling with. Yeah, so you know, just to like I think the way we deal with teens today is really unfair and unjust. Um, like the Bible talks about how um us being like kids and it also talks about just the way we love kids and we've become a very cold people towards children um that's outside of the church and inside the church as well just the way we even rationalize what's wrong in the world when we look at it we don't we just look at the surface and don't deal with the story underneath um and so that was a uh, a big eye opener going into the school to hear these kids stories and one of the things that uh, the teacher, Ms. Donna Freer, was doing was she was having them tell their stories. But walking into the classroom, I literally, I think the first day I, I went to, to volunteer, I met a kid and his brother had just got shot at the bus stop 15 mm-hmm. times. And so it literally just happened. He was in the middle of the grieving process. And I sit down and talk to this kid and I said, so what's this about? He says, it's some gang stuff. And I said, you affiliated? He said, yeah. I said, so the expectation is that you got to retaliate. retaliate. I, I know how this goes. He was like, he's like, yeah. And I said, um, so how you feel about that? And this kid started, which he did in a very intellectual way, but he started working. He, he used this word, fear, respect, but he said it like it was one word. And he said, the people who are leaders in my game, they have fear, respect. They can walk the street. He's like, I'm just a foot soldier. So when I when I walk the street, 
it's war as soon as I see an enemy. He said, but the leaders get to live freely. So he was pondering how many people he would have to hurt to achieve fear respect so he could finally live again. Wow. And, and, and he was like, my mom doesn't have money to move away to get out of here. But he's like, I can't even go outside anymore. And so I'm wondering how much work I got. And this was his way to get the freedom. Blew my mind. Like, it blew my mind. And so I walked in. I walked in on that. The kid behind him, his brother just got killed. There was a kid in the classroom. He had got shot in the face earlier that year. There were several RIPs on the board to kids that had been killed. Another young lady in the classroom going through all type of issues. I'm trying to figure out what's going, to her, going on with her. When I finally talked to her, I found out that the mom, that her mom's boyfriend had just murdered her. And this is, I'm in one classroom. I'm not, I ain't even got to the school, which is like 700 plus students. I'm in one classroom. Um, and then it goes on from there. I got one, I think it's like one white kid in the class. And I'm, I'm getting to him last because he's in ROTC and stuff. I'm thinking he got his stuff together. By the time I get to him, he's, a, he's been shot three times already. Wow. He ended up being a drug addiction. And I'm like, I'm, I mean, my mind, literally, when we used to go volunteer, when we would drive home, we would cry all the way home. Nobody would say nothing in the car, like the first like couple months, because it was like a horror story. Every time we went in, we couldn't believe it. They would call me from the school and be like, hey, Mr. J, we need you to bring some shoes up here for this kid. And I'm like, why does he have shoes? Well, he lives in a crack house, and it got raided this morning, but this is the only place he gets food at, so he came to school without his shoes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to get this picture, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? It's, mm -hmm. it's, it was horrifying, um, but it also showed me how blind we are mm -hmm. and how engaged we aren't, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? And uh, so it, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, and it's, recently I did a video uh, series with the boys uh, called Questions for God, and which I'm going to be releasing um, after me, our conversation, me and Jay kind of set the tone for what these guys are dealing with. Yeah. Um, but one of the questions that like broke my heart, God raised his hand and was like, why, why does God want me to honor parents that abuse me? And when I talk, told you that yesterday, you shed light on why that question was so powerful. What, yeah. what, why is that important? Yeah, you know, that the question you were asking that for the boys, or that response is timely with something going on in the class. And so um, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in the classroom and one of the young boys was giving his story. And um, so he was talking about his father had just got 30 years in prison. And he was talking about just him and his mom, this broken relationship. And how she doesn't even know it's broken. So he can't even walk through the discussion with her because she doesn't even grasp it or only responds in anger. And so he's like, I've been alone since I was a kid. And he's like, that's just what it is. Me and my brother are fighting to get out of our situation. And this is the hand we've been dealt. This kid had the hand of God on him because he was, he was like, we were, poor, we were poor. We couldn't have no decent sneakers, but I decided I was going to be content. And I was like, that's an amazing thing that God is leading you in. And so, but anyway, long story short, when he said this story in front of the classroom, several of the boys started striking out at their parents. And at first I wanted to simmer them down, like chill out. But then when they started telling the story, a boy comes up and he tells me, he's like, yo, my mom's boyfriend just pulled a gun out on me and my little brother was five. And I'm like, when did this happen? A couple months ago. And I said, well, what'd your mom do? Defended her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And he was like, <coughs> excuse me. He was like, at this point, the way I'm living is that I have to take care of my brother, but I've detached from my, my mother. Um, like it's, it, and so there's these lines being drawn where they go into, they're, they're basically abandoned kids. And so, you know, sometimes we look at like, yo, they don't let nobody lead them or teach them anything. That, they done cut ties to that a long time ago and, and the story is deeper than just being a disrespectful kid. Mm -hmm. um, there's reasons behind that, you yeah. know, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's so vital for us to understand because when we think about youth ministry and how church, the church engaged youth, when I'm talking to the boys, they're like, man, this stuff doesn't help me. I mean, it's fun. They have concerts and jump around, but I'm dealing with some real life stuff. They're dealing with more than yeah. I ever dealt with, and yeah. I'm an adult. Yeah. And 
um, they're dealing with more than most of my friends are dealing with. So they need a grown-up word yep. to help them with their situation. They can't get a lot of fluff or watered-down messages. Yeah, straight up and down. And so I just want to add this really quick. I remember at the end of the school year last year, I think it was the last week, there was a kid inside of Miss Frio's class. And a pretty good kid, you know what I'm saying? Parents going through a lot, they struggling. And um, he comes to me and he says, Mr. J, my brother just got shot yesterday um, doing a drug deal. He was making a delivery and they shot him. He's in ICU. He's like, he's probably gonna make it, but he's, you know, he's pretty rough. And I said, okay, he said, but I'm in a dilemma. I said, what's the dilemma? He said, he said, my family is all strapping up right now, getting their guns together to go kill the people who did this to my brother. And he was like, I don't want to be a part of it. But they, everybody, that my family just assumes that I'm going to be a part of this. And he's like, and I'm going with the flow, but I don't want to do this. And so it just really hit me at that moment. I walked him through it. Um, and, and, you know, I told him, I said, listen, man, I, I'm here with you. If your family abandons you, I'll be your family, period. Mm -hmm. But you are standing up as uh, um, being responsible and, and it's, you're not no punk for it. It's respectable because I said, listen, your brother ain't going to divorce the streets, but you about to go kill and shoot somebody for him. So when he get out the hospital, he going back to the streets. You know what I'm saying? And he was just like, he was like, I know it's the truth, so I don't know why we're doing this. This is what he wants. But anyway, long story short, what I got from that, it was like some a question like that for a lot of people, they're like, yo, it's a pretty obvious answer. For him, it's not an obvious answer. And some of these teens, even though they're kids, they are the high level of critical thinking in their whole family. Mm -hmm. Like their moms is on drugs, pops is gone, uncle and grandma are drunks, or been in the street so long, there's literally nobody with any type of wisdom for them to even tap on the shoulder and ask. And when he came to me about that, I was like, man, he just needed somebody to throw this problem against, to give him dignity and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but he literally had nobody else in that moment. And in that moment, I really understood how important it is for us, especially the church. We got so many people and so many bodies, so we're resourced heavily to be able to go volunteer um, inside a school system and um, really, really engage um, in it. You know, and there's a lot in that, um, but we can do that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, and I say there's a lot in it because... Um, it's kind of like this right here with the Good Samaritan story. I always use this as an example. I always say the best place to minister from is where you're getting blood on the shoe. Not across the street talking about why people are laying on the ground, but literally next to the person on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so people hear that and they go, man, that's so true. I want to get out there. But if you've never been out there, there's a learning curve when you step out there. Because a lot of times our, our theology isn't actually prepared to go out there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if we're still fighting for comfort and other things or whatever, you can't take it out there. It, like, me engaging with these boys over these years, it's worn me down to no end. Me and their teacher have spent plenty of time on the phone crying through situations. Um, often you feel, you're not gonna get the satisfaction of feeling like, hey, I'm a hero, I work with the kids. You don't got time for that when you're really in it because we have victories with these kids, but then the next day they come back and they flip over the table, flip over the table and say, go get the school police officer, I don't give a crap about nobody, and spit in your face because they still have to go home to the trauma of home. Mm -hmm. And so I know kids who go home to sleep inside of their father's girlfriend's laundry room and ain't mm -hmm. seen their father and who knows when. Mm -hmm. You know, kids, I got a kid who just recently told a story, he's moved nine times within the past couple of months. And so the expectation you have for them to come in and play school every day, it ain't really real. And when you step in to serve in that, um, it's like the Bible says, um, he says, if you, you share his suffering as a good soldier of Christ, I don't care how good you are. You don't have enough good to deal with the mess that's going on. Only by the power of God are we going to be able to walk into the brokenness that's there. Because whatever we think it is, it's a hundred times more. And I, and people know me for being attached to the street and outside of the church, even before I got involved in that. For all that I thought that I knew, 
It's completely naive. When I stepped into school, it hit me like more like what I thought I knew about the gang problem in the city. I ain't know nothing. It was a real reality check, but it was also a reality check of how we we have an amazing opportunity to lead um, our children and also play a big hand in our city if we would make them a priority. And that's what it really is. It has to be made a priority. So when pastors, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much. Okay. When pastors are dancing with this conversation, what they're dancing with is um, a little bit more than just a actual project that the church takes on. They're dancing with the idea of actually changing the whole culture of the church to not be on the side of the street like the, you know what I'm saying, the preacher and the Levite in the Good Samaritan story, but to actually live as a church that's on the other side of the street. Mm -hmm. Because when they when the people get up off the ground and come in the building, they run into another problem of people who have not been living their life engaging with their type of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I see that sometimes in my church. I'm like, yo, if these boys come in here again and somebody don't talk to them, I'm going to lose it. Because it's taken like three years to finally get them to even walk in the door of the church. And, uh, you know, like, you better not come to them talking to them about a hat or nothing. I don't care if they got three dreads coming out their they, they eyebrow. Mm -hmm. they, if they in the church, we winning. Let mm -hmm. them come through and let's love them, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So Yeah, and I think that's so crucial and so vital. And, you know, one of the things coming from a black church background and being in a black middle class culture is that when you see certain things, sometimes you pass judgment, yeah. you know? Um, and that was one of the things I came to you with when I saw the boys going to different places. And I was like, Jay, why did, why they not dressed up? Yeah, yeah. And he was like, and I'm, I'm completely naive to what's yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, what did you say to me? I, some probably crazy, whatever. I, look, look, <laughs> let, me, let me put it, let me reword it like this right here. I remember what you trying to say. I remember Miss Donna Frio, we were, when we were first going to Washington, one of the kids, he got locks everywhere. Mm -hmm. And she brings him in this back room. She's like, Jay, tell him we're going to the White House. You know, we're going to Washington, D.C. He needs to cut his hair. And she was like, you know, and um, she's like, you know, and, and then he, he said, uh, the boy said, I'm sorry, but I'm a thug. You know, and, and then she looks at me and she, and I said, uh, I said, I can't tell him nothing, Miss Donnafree. I'm, I'm a thug, too. And she was, like, so disappointed with me. But when we went to D.C., everybody was all over him because he was actually, like, the star of our group and so articulate, engaged, on point, everything, whatever, this and that, and it made him stick out because of his hair. And I remember she came back, and she was like, yo, I'm so glad that you pushed on that and, like, didn't tell him to do that. And this is one of the things I told him. I said... He shouldn't be acceptable based on his haircut. Mm -hmm. He should be acceptable because he's a human being. It has nothing to do with his intelligence. I'm like, in his context? So you want him to go switch who he is to go get the approval of people who aren't coming back to his neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I said, where he, where he lives at? His hair is, everybody love it. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to have him change up. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, I try to really enforce these kids to walk in their identity. Some of the reasons I don't dress up as a pastor or whatever, and, and sometimes it's because people often don't think about, like I'm dealing with kids. Like I remember when I bought, when I first bought them clothes to dress up in, I remember kids, teenagers, going, whoa, this is the first shirt I've ever had with a collar on it. I'm like, what do you mean, like button up? No, with a collar. What? Mm -hmm. And it's like I'm thinking about how na naive I am and some of the traditions we push on people and expectations, but never consider considering their economic like situation mm -hmm. and how often we, you know, push them out of it. It's like you know, if you're standing outside of a place with suits on, they might not tell you you're not invited, but you simply feel uncomfortable because mm -hmm. of the the air or whatever when you walk in the room. And so, it, it made me just really like I get a lot of people that are like, yo, you know, we really think this wrong. Um, that you preach on Sunday with a hat on and different things like that. Well, I got a lot of kids in here, whatever, like, I got people, I know people with alopecia. They won't come into church because they're going to make them take off their hat. And they don't want to go through the shame of that. We don't think about stuff like this. And so when, you know, in the Bible, when they're saying, hey, make the paths clear for the kingdom of God. 
It's like get all the stuff out of the path because you don't have to climb over this stuff to get to Jesus. Like, it, like get it out of the way. So a lot of these things, because we don't always realize how it's hurting people or keeping them away from the cross. And the boys have really helped me see a lot of that mm -hmm. stuff. And it's, and it's and it's and it's sometimes making judgments on people. We don't realize that they might actually want to dress a certain way, but don't have it. it uh, and, straight and, up, yeah. And so when we went and we went with the boys to get them suits, yeah, like they were so excited. They were like, "Kid!" And then uh, Brian they came through. Blowing my phone up, <laughs> sending pictures. They was like, "Y'all killing me!" You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> So, and then the Brian came through and showed them how to tie their tie. And they was like, you know, they yeah. didn't have, one boy said, I was trying to find out on YouTube how to tie my tie. Yeah. And so things that certain people take for granted, yeah. just going and being there and being present and being the mentor to these guys and just taking an hour out your day to show them something as simple as how to tie a tie or Spending your extra money to buy them a suit yep. or buy them clothes can do so much for them and help them. Yeah, let me add on to that to make that statement hurt for people who are listening. We got lost in the carnality of the world and forgot who we are as God's people, that we are called to repair the breach, not stand across from it and look at it, talk about who caused it and everything else or whatever, but we are to talk about it for the sake of figuring out how to fix it and going engaging, laying our life on the line, sacrificing. And man, I, I get so hurt hearing people like talk about these boys, not knowing that they are literally, they're like walking gold mines. They're like, you gotta go dig for the gold, but it's beautiful when you get to it, but it's gonna take some work and some labor. And you know, and so it, it, it like, even the young boy I was mentioning with the dress before, he just cut his dress off. But he did it when it was time for him to do it. And there's dignity in him being able to make that decision. For him to say, this is the season, it's time. I saw when he posted, other boys was like, yo, I'm, I'm going to do mine too. But it's like that was his decision, his timing, and everything else or whatever. And, uh, and so I think stuff like that is big or whatever. And like one of the things is too, like when I was 15, 16, I was in and out of juvenile. Like, you know what I'm saying? I was robbing, stealing, selling guns, all that stuff. And I had, I had went that way because I felt like I wasn't good at nothing in life. I just felt like all I know how to do is be slick and manipulate women. And I'm a good thief. Me and my friends in our mind, we were like, we're gonna rob banks one day. And this is just our progression. He's like, we too smart. We ain't gonna get caught. That's what we're. That's the foolishness we're thinking. Of. And when I became a believer in the, the situations God put me in, I couldn't believe that I knew how to do anything. And I had this stuff all the time. God had been putting it in me, but I didn't know how to take the gift things and see see them in another light to be used. But for what I had in front of me, what I could do is still with the tools I had. That's how I processed it. And so I realized with a lot of these kids, they're in their same circumstance every day. It's home, it's survival, it's on the block, it's um, torment, because a lot of them it's not just, like it's, it's harsh at home. It's, it's the uh, torture of being alone. Some of the circumstances are that they're home taking care of all their brothers and sisters and every day and don't know when the parents are really coming back. Um, some of them are being abused, like for real. We didn't have kids, their parents go beating them with a rake, stuff, crazy stuff, where you're like, you can't believe it. But man, if we take the time mm -hmm. and go and go take the long, it may be a long walk with them, um, then it's, it's necessary. Mm -hmm. Like, it's necessary. And it is a sacrifice, because kids call me and they ask, they like, yo, Mr. Jack, I can't pay for basketball. I, man, I got nine kids. But God's will make a way. And so you have to be aware of that going in. That's what I meant earlier. Like when you step into it, your 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 faith and your theology on, on stuff has to change a whole lot because you will come to your wits end with loving people. It's not just a noble, sweet thing to do. That joy costs you something. Mm -hmm. um, on Sunday morning sometimes I'm picking up like eight, nine kids in my van all over the whole city. Like a 15-minute ride to church turns into two and a half hours there, taking them home, but for the sake of them hearing the gospel, 
life being changed forever, the trajectory of their family forever, and when I got eternity waiting on me so I can lay it all now, <coughs> it's well worth it. Mm -hmm. And 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 I'm and I don't want to say that like I'm some type of superhero. I cry through it. I sit on my back porch with many a tears often because I'm perplexed by it. Um, but I know there's no way to keep going forward without sight of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the teacher, she's the gangster of the year. Yeah, so, I, I, the, what she does, and I know sometimes she said they come to school hungry. She makes sure she has food for them. They don't have nobody, if they don't have anybody to go to their games, she's at games. I mean, she's putting in work. She's doing the most. Somebody need to cut a check for a million and just throw it in a bank account for real. Like, I swear to you, like, she, like, we on the phone often. Yeah, Amy is killing it. She's killing it. And, and it hurts. It's not, it's not just a sweet walk in the park. There's a lot of grievous stuff that comes with it. It really, really is. And, uh, but she loves those boys a lot. She mm -hmm. really, really does. Yeah. And I think yeah. it's, it, it, when I see what you're doing, it takes away any excuse. I mean, you have eight kids with one on the way. Yeah. You have a church that you're lead pastor of. Yeah. Uh, you have a business yeah. <laughs> straightening her clothing. Yeah. So, I'm when I'm crying. So, when I see you do and then you're actively engaged yeah. in your children's life, yeah. in your business, you and your wife. Yeah. Uh, I always, I see y'all hanging out. So I'm like, I don't even know when you sleep. I don't know either. I don't. I need some sleep. But I mean, for for those who are watching, all of our excuses we have, I think uh, Jay kind of trumps us with the the excuses not to do anything. And so that was so so motivating for me. Like mm -hmm. I have to do more because it's like when you're detached from it. Yeah. You don't necessarily see it. You know bad things are going on. Yeah. But when you sit in these guys' faces, guys and girls' faces, and hear their stories, hear, you cannot just not do anything. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find something to do, some way to help. Everybody yeah. can't do the same thing, but everybody can do something. You can, everybody can do something. You know, one of the things that hurts me so bad is seeing people on Facebook arguing about teens, African-American youth, um, certain parts of town and the cruel stuff that they say because these boys see it even in some of the things that we've been able to see happen in the class going to dc people will come right on the thread adults talking to these boys like they're dirt and they're nothing mm. and and it, like i don't even bother getting bother getting into arguments so many times because it's just too heavy but it hurts it it, it wounds my spirit so much because i'm like I know what these kids are going through, like trying to work through it. Some of them have criminal records for stuff they didn't even do. Stuff where it was obvious they didn't do anything, but they weren't even valued enough for anybody to just look and go, they're on video, they didn't do it. People just kept processing and not even caring. Just And you just like, your mind is baffled by this stuff. Um, and so it's, it's, it's hurtful and it's hard in that. But... God is faithful and amazing. And, and and it's more than even just the idea of we actually need to do something. We as believers actually need this. Mm -hmm. um, your gospel gets real funny when you ain't next to suffer. Mm -hmm. You come up with all type of theologies and doctrines and stuff that is not really, really real. Um, and so the the staying close to that hurt is really, really important. Mm -hmm. It's it's super important. And it helps you deal with theological problems differently. So mm -hmm. when they were asking me questions, most of them had to do with the problem of evil. Yeah. And understanding suffering, why did God one boy was like, Why did why did God even put me on this earth to suffer like this yeah. as a child? Yeah. Like and you think about the philosophical answers you can give them, but at that point, I think the best thing to do would be to just cry with him. Yeah. Because there's no really philosophical answer. I mean, I can give one, but right now, yep. I can see the pain in his eyes when he asks that. Straight up and down. It's mm -hmm. like, you talking about the pain of an 80-year-old man inside of boys. Like, and you see their rage. Like, that's why, like, even for the teacher, watching what happens. Sometimes she walks in there or whatever, and the same kid that was there yesterday crying on her, you know, needing her help. 
walks in the classroom, flips the desk, and goes nuts in the classroom. But the pain is running so deep. Mm -hmm. um, you got kids who their family members are drug dealers. So they're living like homeless kids going from home to home, you know, maybe clothes not getting washed, but they made the decision, I'm not gonna stay at home because my parents have accepted this to be the case and I have to live in what they're doing, but I don't wanna get caught up. And some of them got drugs, right, like this close, and they're fighting the decision all the time to walk around struggling being broke even though their whole family got a package. Like, here, we can give it right to you. And so you just, when you start processing this stuff and start realizing the sacrifice some of them are making to even stay on the right path, even though for most people, they're like, nah, you out here thugging. They ain't thugging like they could be thugging or like most people would be thugging under the circumstances. And so it's amazing, it's amazing to see that, but it really puts, um, it puts that into perspective. And then it also puts our own personal selfishness in perspective. That's the thing that um, you can't, a lot of times people want to um, pat, like they want to pat me on the back for what we they see me doing and everything else. Um, but all I realize is how much I suck and how horrible I am at, um, at doing this. It may look like something but like I'm feeling miserable because the pain is so much and the issues are so much. Sometimes I am rocking back and forth and can't bring myself to pick up the phone. Even when I know people are in distress because it's coming so much. Um, and that's why my prayers for the church to really awaken because I think we have an opportunity. Like we complain about so much that's happening in society and, 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 and our kids and millennials falling away. Man, we get up out of the walls and go lay ourselves down, man, we'll rock the whole world. I mm -hmm. believe that with all my heart. This Jesus thing we preach is gangster and it's mm -hmm. sharp. I'm not even, it's sharp all by itself. But you gotta get out of the walls to go do it. You gotta go to yo, know, go to the bar and have a glass of water if you don't like to drink beer. And talk to people. I got a bar I go to. Everybody in my church, even as pastor, know what bar I go to. And the owner of the bar knows something going on, I'm gonna go lay hands on them in the bar. Period. That's what we do. We done turned it into a pulpit in there 50 times. And it's amazing. You know what I'm saying? And so the church has to get out of the building. And, um, you know, there's a scripture, and I'm not even, I ain't one of them pastors that know 50 scriptures. And I'm going to mess the whole thing up. But basically, the scripture talks about those in the church, um, the mature in the church, basically sacrificing for the babes of the church. And then it says something right after it in the tune of um, um, basically um, don't satisfy yourself, but you know for the you know sacrifice for their good. Mm -hmm. And I think we've become a church where a lot of the older people or the more mature people try to whip the people into shape because they're intolerant to our messiness. Um, and I think that that has left no room for people to come in um, brand new. And 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 I and I, I think church looks a lot messier than we believe it does. Mm -hmm. um, and and then and what we're willing to allow it to be like we've come to this idea of what excellence looks like for God's people, and, and we've started drafting up what we think that should be. But if you step into suffering, that thing's gonna look a lot different. Yeah. Um, Part of the reason, like, you know, even when it comes to managing this many kids and everything else in the church and everything or whatever, there's a lot more healthier rhythms I can have in my life, and I'm always fighting to get to them because it's real in the battlefield. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that is helpful in it, and and this is, it, you know, from having this many kids and from the stepping into the suffering, is that I realize I have, for me to think I can achieve whatever idea of excellency is expected, that, that ship is way down the river for mm -hmm. me. So it leaves you where it's like, there's no way for me to maintain this God but for you to empower me to do it because it's not realistic, logical, and I'll definitely kill myself trying to get it. Um, so there's some safety in that, you know, that lets you plow into things. And I think the church needs that. Um, and, you know, I think the church needs that to go into this thing, whatever that, this mess. It ain't gonna look. It ain't gonna always look cool. Mm -hmm. Like my friends, I roll with 
or I got drug addict friends that I love to death, and they come by the house, um, and they and I've been friends with them forever, and they haven't changed much. Some of them got worse, but we're gonna be 80, 90 years old if God uh, allows us, and they're gonna be on drugs. I'm gonna be right there with them till that moment when 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 I'm able to lead them to Christ, or whether somebody else is able to grab them and lead them, and. I think people need to know it looks like that. I, yeah, hang with prostitutes. Do all of that. That's great for you to do. Like, you know, I think we walk around this thing just scared like people got, they they sin got the power to just jump on us and do us. It's like, no, you only pulled away by the sin that's in your own heart. So if it's something that messes with you, then don't go mess with it. But, man, it's souls in the balance. Like, and God is fully able if we just show up. That's that's where it meets the road. It's just showing up. I'm not smart and I'm I'm fear has always been a anchor on me for since I can ever remember. None of this has to do with me being brave at all. But as I see that cross and see the power in it and what he does, that joint has made me jump off quite a few cliffs. Not because I'm brave, but because I know he's true. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's part of that power in, in, in leaving to go across the street mm-hmm. and uh, not having to have it figured out first. Like, mm-hmm. people just show up to your school. Just go, go to the principal. What can I do? Do you have a teacher I could mirror and help or whatever? And be content in the work. Mm-hmm. Be content that you're, you're not going to get satisfied from this. Like, you're not... You're not going to get a trophy. <laughs> you're not going to get a trophy. You're going to feel beat up and worn out. But know that God is being glorified in it. And and, uh, and, and that's that. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about changing the trajectory of people's whole lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just to add this too, I know I've talked forever. Um, you, you were saying something earlier about one of the boys. Um, or just a story and everything. But I remember just recently when the kid was telling me about his mom. Like what I had to stop and tell them was. I said, I said you know, you're... you're the virtues you have that is making you different from your parents, you think they're yours. They're actually not yours. They're something God gave you. And I said, if you think they're yours, then you're going to start getting prideful about it, and you're going to look down at your parents. I said, the same thing that is eating your mom alive can eat you alive. I said, it's just by the grace of God. I said, but what is going on is you're given an opportunity to change the trajectory of your whole family. I said, you, you're doing it for your mom. Not at your mom, not to get back to at her, not to because because you're back. I said, yo, God is giving you an opportunity to change. I said, and like that was really enlightening to them. It's like, man, I'm like, yeah, you. I said, bro, I said, I don't care what kind of drugs your mom is on. In her soul, in her heart, she is wishing you will win, and she's really like, I'll save our family, do something. You know what I'm saying? And so they just, man, they they just need people around them. To give them answers to this stuff, because if not, these rappers and everybody else are gonna drop their theology on them ASAP, mm-hmm. and they already on it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something you that that's important. The because sometimes when we think of what we need to do or mission work or how we help the community, it looks very short term. Mm-hmm. It looks maybe like throwing money at the situation, and I can just give and write this check, and I've done my share to the problem to help the problem. While the money is needed. Yeah. But we need money and workers. Most it's a long term commitment. And I think that's where the suffering comes in for us because it's denying ourselves. And then for my people that are listening that grew up in black middle class families, I mean, you black middle class, mm. uh, us putting down that privilege because we always talk about white privilege. Um, but there's a certain privilege that we have if yeah. you're a black middle class, a black affluent, to give back to your community. And stop, and, and and we can't require other races to do something we're not doing for ourselves. Mm, and so we have to save ourselves in a sense. And, you know, we have the privilege, you know, sometimes in my young professional circle, we have the privilege to talk about these things over brunch and to be all philosophical yeah. and not really be doing the work, but just tweeting about the work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just talking through this, seeing the voice makes you say, I got to enter in. I got to get off social media. I got to stop trying to just, you know, be philosophical and deep with my friends who have the same privilege as me and enter into the suffering. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. That's, 
you just hit it on the head. Like, we can talk about it so much and feel like we're knee-deep engaged. And we're not. Like, that show-up game is everything. It really, really is. And um, it's everything. And here's the thing. It hurts, but we're going to get rich because of it. Like, mm -hmm. like God will enrich us in himself as we sacrifice and put ourselves in these positions. And 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 I, I use the word, put the phrase, put yourself in these positions because that's what it is. You, you never have no idea what's going to happen afterwards. Like, when I started um, mentoring and volunteering with Miss Donna Frio, like we didn't know, like we didn't know what evac was. Like I, I, I named it evac, and I just was like, man, we didn't know it was something. You know what I'm saying? We didn't know it was going to turn into like you know we went to Washington, and you know it was always like, okay, that was cool. You know, I guess that's the end of it. And then you know, then the next time you're on the front page of the, you know one of the students on the front page of the New York Times. I think in the last year, we've probably been on the news like over 20 times. And it's just going and going and going. And you have no idea what God has planned. And you have no idea when it'll end. You really have to be fulfilled in Him and content that this is actually what He wants us to do. Mm -hmm. um, it's more than just a good thing to do. It's actually the will of God. Um, forced to go pour ourselves out like that, and it and it, it checks you because I mean, I you know the stuff I complain about and say are real struggles. When I sat with them with them guy, I was like, man, what? I, I was like, what I got to be complaining straight, about? Straight up, I mean, yeah. I'm up here complaining about paying student loan debt, and I mean, I I'm I'm beating my payments, and these people they not even eating sometimes. Not even eating, like yeah. literally, I got kids, like, I got kids in there. I'm bringing clothes to. They wear the same clothes every day. Some of the kids are, are, are going through the disdain because they're in class smelling horribly and they're getting cracked on in jokes. They literally have no money to wash clothes. They have no parents, no and adults. One of them got, they didn't have running water. Yeah. Like, this is America. And that's, that's the thing that you think. You're like, this is America. You know, it, our poverty is different. And so you're not really, because you're distant from it, you're not really engaged and yeah. see the, the crucialness of some of these needs. Yep. The you got kids with no lights and no running water. Real talk. And here's the thing. I'm talking about one classroom. Yeah. Like I haven't even got to the rest of the school. Like I can wear you out with horror stories out of one classroom. When I went back in my second year, the first day I went back in my second year and I went to go talk to the boys, I was like I'm back. You know, I'm excited. Kid in the first uh, seat, his head is down on the desk. I look at Miss Donna Freer. I'm like, what's up with my man? She's like, you remember they killed his brother last year? I said, yeah. She's like, they killed his other brother yesterday. I'm like, it it, it, it started to feel like I couldn't walk in the classroom. Like, it, I used to come home and tell my wife, I'm like, this cannot be real life. I started researching when the kids were telling me their friends was getting killed because I'm like, they come to the classroom, one of them's down, it's like my boy got killed this weekend off of so-and-so. Another one walks in the classroom. Yo, my homie. I'm like, yo, your homie's hissing there. Like, nah, they actually was up the street. I know his friend too. And I'm like, this ain't, this, this, I can't, I couldn't even fathom that it was this real or whatever. And so, it's thug like to the max. It's, yeah. it's it's hard, but the church gotta get thuggish. We gotta, we 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 got Jesus, man. We got everything. Mm -hmm. We got we got it all, man. We got the answer to all of these things, um, and people are waiting for us to have some real conversation. Because here's the thing: whatever these other, whatever the kids are trusting in, mm -hmm. um, it's gonna fail because it's not true. So to give out it sometime, um, and just like in my case, so many people prayed for me, and they probably thought I didn't hear a word they said. But at a certain time, all I could hear was their voice. And so it's necessary for us to be there and be able to speak. Um, even when it comes to, like, you know, I remember I was talking to the kids about music. And, we, you know, they got their artists. They always quote their lyrics. So we start working through their situations at home. And their, their moms, the broken, what, what was broken, their mother and their father, and then applying it to the music. I'm like, so this artist right here, what he's talking about is actually the horror story you're in. It's the thing that makes you cry at night. But you're singing his song 
and it sounds cool what he's saying about the way you treat this girl and everything else. But I'm like, actually, the girl is your mom in real life. And you're, you're in the result of the brokenness. And they're just like, oh, my God. And, and that, that's not to judge them or condemn them. It's just to give them a base, like how to critically think through this stuff. I'm, I'm not saying don't go listen to your music or anything. But can you engage it critically to start thinking about how it, how it affects you and how it affects society? And that's been huge for them. Because mm -hmm. nobody in their circle thinks like that. Mm -hmm. And we get to step into the middle of that as believers and start pointing to whole new worlds for them. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? When we first started EVAC, what, or, or what really, what was a significant change in the room with the kids is when some police officers came to the classroom. The police officers came to the classroom. I wasn't even there that day. But apparently they spoke over the boys, ran over them. And when I came in, the next time I could see the hurt on their face, I said, what happened? He said, man, they, I told them about the gangs in my neighborhood. They told me I should move. I was like, man, I'm 14 years old. Where am I going to move? And they were just so disappointed. They were like, yo, they didn't have no answers. And they were talking to us like second graders. We invited the officers back. And I said, y'all did a good job not raising your voice and disrespecting these officers. I said, but y'all don't think that y'all can talk to grown men. I said, y'all got a lot to say. Let's just work on how to say it. And when they came back and they had that conversation, that was like when I saw the light go off in them because it gave them so much dignity because all of a sudden their voice, what they usually stand with their boys and complain and grumble about, now they're talking to the officers. Next thing you had the U.S. prosecutors. Next thing they're talking to a federal judge. Next thing they're talking to state attorney Melissa Nelson. Next thing they're talking to the mayor. Next thing we're talking to... We, we, we were in D.C. talking to uh, Obama's financial advisors, the Department of Justice. Then they talking to Obama. And so their voice is making stuff happen. And, you know, and all along they're going, we have something to say. We always had something to say. We just didn't have a, a framework for it. We didn't have a framework for it. So you feel hopeless over here if you just want to block saying it to your boys that it mean nothing. But now that puts you in this different thing. And so I think it's about taking these kids on a journey. Yeah, because, I mean, they had so much to say. <coughs> At the end of the conversation that I'm going to release with them, we have about 40 minutes of just candid conversation. At the end, I said, what would your message be to pastors? Yeah. And if I had to let them stop, if continue to talk, they had so much they wanted to say to pastors and leaders, to youth pastors, and really all they wanted, hey, treat us like adults really listen to what we're going through and see that we're not going through this fluff and we need a real grown-up word. We don't need this stuff they passing out of youth ministry. We don't need you to bring a hip-hop artist to jump around. We would rather hear some substance in the sermon because I don't know how to cope with the life I'm living and yeah. I don't need a, I don't need the fluff. Yeah. And, and they said, I need pastors to live right and demonstrate what they're doing. Don't tell us to do something you're not living. And they seem different people be hypocritical so they want to see the real yeah. and they want to hear authentic messages laced with the word of God and truth because they're dealing with real stuff Yeah, if you want to see something gangster pop off go to a bunch of teenage boys or teenage girls because the ladies need some the ladies need some ladies mm -hmm. bad Yeah, breaking my heart to hear the stories of these young girls mm -hmm. in school and the boys are brutal to them like like Man, I can't even express to you. Like, I've been saying that everywhere I go because I'm dying for somebody to create something. But you come to them and you say you're going to resource them, ask them what they think is the problem in the streets, and then say, so let's start something. I'll pay for it. What do you want to do? Like, how would you impact your city to heal it but make them executives in it and do it? That's basically what Ms. Donna Frio has done with EVAC. Mm -hmm. She, it, it hasn't been... We're about to use you kids to do something. It's been like she came to them and empowered them saying, what do you want to do? I will go beg for money, do whatever I got to do to make whatever y'all say possible. So whether they want to meet J. Cole or meet President Obama, she's on the phone with the White House. They like, yo, uh, y'all can't meet Obama. She's like, y'all can make it happen. And guess what? It happened. And she keeps on doing it over and over and over and, and been and sacrificial in that. But the boys are... They just, they point. They're like, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to do. Like, we always come with this thing we want to do for the youth. 
the youth know what they want to do. We just need to resource them. And then you get the opportunity to walk with them, take them through amazing experiences, and then and then um, bring light through it, like the gospel and everything else as you partner with them and walk through it. And so that's pretty much what the journey with EVAC has been. Mm -hmm. And uh, God has been extremely faithful in it. But their, their teacher, Miss Donna Free, I can't say her name enough. She had, she's been um, yeah, she she's been a soldier out of this world, whatever, for real, and, mm -hmm. and really exhibiting amazing selfless love. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so I just huge respect for it. Yeah. yeah. If you if people want to find out more about you and get in contact with you, how would they do that? Um, so they can hit me up on uh, so the bill. Um, dot church is the website of our church and you can go through all the contact stuff through there to hit us up or do any type of speaking engagements anything like that um, and uh, yeah hit me up like that I'm on Facebook too Jay Harris you got all of me on there so we'll be pitching with all the kids it just look like a nursery on there when you pull it up <laughs> and, uh, and so we could hit us up like that thank you so much Jay I think this has been thank a really rich time man Lisa I appreciate you I appreciate what you do June 3 is extra gang style here so thank you so much for just everything and all the guests you have on there and what they're offering brother like me is eating up that stuff so thank you so much awesome thank it's you good. well thank you for listening to another episode of the jude 3 project podcast as always you can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com or you can subscribe on itunes and Google Play by searching the G3 Project. You can also get better equipped with our Bible Engagement app by searching the App Store, Google Play, or Apple App Store by searching the G3 Project, and that will help you better engage Scripture on a daily basis. If you would like to donate to the G3 Project, go to g3project.com and hit the Donate tab. In addition, you can follow us on, in, on social media by searching at Jude3Project on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and YouTube. Remember, here at the Jude3Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.